You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Hereford. If you would like to find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. We've been going through a series um, here in Hereford where we've really been looking at revival, renewal, restoration. My favourite book is Nehemiah, and we haven't got time to go through all the chapters of the book this morning. But what I would love to do is kind of paraphrase it and bring some lessons that I've learned from it and I continue to learn. But before I do that, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians that I'd like to uh, pop up on the screen. It says this. So 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It's a letter to the church there. And this is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so that's if anyone has come to Christ, um, has chosen to believe him and follow him, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Followers of Jesus become new creations. Basically, God starts to build in their lives, working on our character, phasing out our bad habits, dealing with our past hurts, wiping away our sins. And the aim is to become more like Christ. Now, many years ago, when reading Nehemiah for the second time, I believe God revealed to me some tactics within the book of Nehemiah that the enemy uses to try and stop God building in your life, in our lives. But also, I believe that he revealed to me some strategies that that Nehemiah used God-given strategies to actually overcome the attacks of the enemy and what we can put in place to tackle the enemy. Now, last week, Tim spoke from the book of Ezra. So if you missed it, perhaps you're a visitor this morning um, and, and you've missed it, that's fine. It's online. Go onto our website. You can listen to it online. But he talked a bit about Ezra. So this is a really nice follow on to that. So here we go. Are you ready? Are you sure? That's 10 of you. 10 of you are ready. The rest of you catch up. Come on. Come. So there's coffee afterwards. Um, a Jew named Nehemiah had, had not yet returned to Jerusalem, and he received news that the walls of the city were broken down and the gates had been burnt. This upset him to the core. He fell to his knees, calling out to God for his people. Help! Help me! Help me! Come on, God! We need to rebuild the walls. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Now, you see, in, a, in the coronation back then, I'm sure you would have seen Nehemiah uh, when the king was, was coronated, so to speak, in the way that they would there. He was a cupbearer. So I thought, well, what is a cupbearer? What is a cupbearer? I've got a cup holder in my car, but what, what's a cupbearer? A cupbearer was historically an officer of high rank in royal courts, whose duty was to pour and serve the drinks at the royal table. Because of the king's constant fear of plots to to get him off the throne, of being poisoned, a person must have been regarded as a highly trusted individual to hold this position. So this is Nehemiah here. He is the cupbearer to the king, but he is crying out to God for, for help. Now, we see that Nehemiah has a career break, okay? So he goes to the king and he asks for a career break. Can I just stop this job for a moment? Because I want to go back and build the walls in Jerusalem so that he could get them up and built. Now, being full of God's favor, Nehemiah was cheeky and asked for the money and resource to build the walls and the gate. So not only did he get a career break, but he managed to gather all the funds from the people and from the king to be able to get it done. And he began gathering people, uniting them for the epic task of rebuilding the walls. And just like Ezra, as they began to rebuild the walls, they faced opposition from the enemy, from those around them. People were laughing and mocking at them, intimidating them. However, they didn't let it affect them. They ignored it. They worked hard and they managed to build the wall to half its height. And it was at this point that those that had mocked them suddenly took notice of what was happening around them. They were like, oh, hang on a minute, this impossible task doesn't look impossible anymore. Actually, they're starting to get the job done. And they began to get angry. They plotted to fight and confuse them. In the midst of these people plotting to fight and confuse them, 
Nehemiah's first impulse, his first reaction was to pray. He prayed to God and he set up a guard of protection day and night. The task began to overwhelm them. They were tired and they began to doubt their ability to complete the task. The fear of the enemy was beginning to affect them. They were getting worried. They were getting fearful. There were Jews that lived around them and they asked them to return home, essentially asking them to give up. And they didn't just do this once. They didn't just do this twice. They did this 10 times. So you can imagine right now as a church, if we decided, right, we're going to start a work in Hay on Wye on the border of Wales. We want to start a church there. And 10 individuals came up to us and said, no, don't do it. 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 (laughs) It's a bit discouraging, isn't it? So in the midst of this, they've got their own people saying, stop. And guess what? The building stopped. Nehemiah placed these guys all at the weakest part of the wall at this point. The weakest part, the lowest part. And he reminded them not to be afraid because the Lord, who is awesome and great, will fight for you. It was at this point that the enemy's plan had been frustrated. And they didn't attack. And the building began again. You see, Nehemiah had to change his strategy, his plan. He had half the people building the wall. The other half had weapons. They were standing guard. Some of them who were building at certain parts of the wall, they had a trowel in one hand and they had a sword in the other. So they were building, but at any moment were ready for an attack. Trust me, if I had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, the kind of wall that I would build would be really wonky. (laughs) So that would have been stressing me out. They had their guards up. Many of them had swords strapped to them. Part of Nehemiah's plan was to have a person with a trumpet at the weakest part of the walls. You see, the problem was the work was so widespread that they couldn't quite have a massive amount of people here to do this bit, and we'll have a massive amount. No, they had to spread, and often it was families, like the family, so it would be like the Elson family. would be like, yeah, we'll get that bit of the wall, Nehemiah. And and, and then the, the pictures would be like, yeah, we'll get that bit of the wall, and so forth. So they were pretty stretched thin. And at any given moment, the attack would come. And the enemy is clever. They're watching. They're looking at what's the weakest parts there. Look, there's that Dan guy. He can't even hold a sword and a trowel together at the same time. We'll go after that bit of the wall. So at any moment, an attack could take place. So the trumpet, the idea of the trumpet is the trumpet would sound. Can someone make me a trumpet noise? Thank you. Saves me being embarrassed there. The trumpet would sound. People would drop their trowel. They would go in the direction of the sound and they'd they'd get involved in the fight. They'd defend the wall. They probably didn't fight like this because fencing was invented a little bit later. But they were just fighting to protect the wall. Once the, once the, the, the enemy was pushed back, they'd all go back to their parts of the wall and they'd start rebuilding again. And then maybe a little bit later, trumpet would sound. They'd all drop what they were doing and go and help. And once again, Nehemiah reminded them that God fights for them. Everyone within the city was required to play their part in building and defending the wall. And they were so dedicated to this task that they slept in their clothes, always keeping up their guard. And it took them 52 days to rebuild the wall and fix it. Amen? God is good. Turn to your neighbor and just say, God is good. I really urge you to get the book of Nehemiah after today, maybe in your quiet time later. Don't put on Antiques Roadshow. Um, Don't watch a repeat of the coronation. You know, that that can wait. Read the book of Nehemiah. I urge you to do it because it is so, so good. You see, I believe as we press into all the things that God has for us, as we journey with God, as we allow him to build in our life, the enemy, the devil, takes notice. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. And when the enemy takes notice, when the word of God begins to take shape in our lives, we become a threat. 
He wants to delay and stop that building. He wants us to stop being a threat. So what I want to do is I want to look at the four tactics of the enemy that I spotted in Nehemiah that actually can appear in our life as well. The first one is confusion. In Nehemiah's case, they were united with a common goal of building the wall. Confusion, the enemy was trying to bring confusion to cause disunity. Disunity is the opposite to unity. You're like, that's obvious, Dan. Yeah? It's the opposite of unity. When you walk in disunity, you become ineffective. That's a fact. And the enemy uses this tactic today. Misunderstanding and offense comes into the mix. When you're not in a place of unity, you are in, you, you're, you're looking for every mistake, every issue, everything that would kind of underline your disunity. You, you begin to focus on yourself. And before you, you know it, unity is lost. Unity is lost. I've seen this happen in my time as a Christian in marriages. I've seen it happen in churches, in leadership teams, in friendships, and with families. Disunity can tear relationships apart. God wants us to be united. He wants us to be in one accord. I don't think it's insignificant that when we look in the book of Acts in the New Testament, where we see that the apostles and the disciples are all waiting like Jesus told them to wait, and the Bible is very clear when they're in the upper room, they were with one accord. They had a unity. They had a togetherness. And the church was built and catapulted into history. You see, when we focus on disunity, we open up the door to bitterness, anger, frustration, disappointment, kind of all the opposite things to the fruit of the Spirit that we read in the New Testament. God doesn't want us to be in a place of disunity. And I believe disunity can also lead to the enemy's second tactic. This is an exclusive list. This is just what I see in Nehemiah. And the second one is isolation. You see, once unity is damaged, you can end up in a place of isolation. Isolation, I think, is a major tactic of the enemy. Major you see, he doesn't just stop with attacking the church in general. He goes after individuals. And he can tear our life apart if we allow him. I think for various reasons we can end up in a place of isolation. But I, I would like to talk about two routes that can get us to a place of isolation. The first is this. We can end up walking away. We don't like something. We see something we don't like. And, 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 and rather than question it and talk it through, or maybe someone's upset us or discouraged us, rather than kind of dealing with the situation, we decide to walk away. We decide to walk away. My son does it when I'm disciplining him, and he doesn't like it. He walks away. Come back here. We need to continue this conversation. But we can end up as, as, as adults, as, as young people, we can end up walking away from church, college, school, a team, a marriage, a friendship, a family. Because we've gotten ourselves into a place of disunity. We've ended up in a place of isolation. And do you know what? God has wired us for relationship. We're not meant to do this life alone. We're not meant to walk on our own. Church was his idea. What is church? It's not a building. It's his people. It's people in relationship pursuing everything that God has for us. You see, we become most effective when we're together. And the problem is when you walk away, you become isolated. We are easy to pick off. The way I've described it when I've, I've spoken um, in various contexts, it's almost like if I can just get this person on their own, I can give them a good kick in because they're on their own. You see, when we end up in a place of isolation and we're allowing the enemy to attack, 
we can end up in a place of depression, bitterness, negativity, confusion. It's not a great place to be. Folks, I don't talk about this from a place of theory. I talk about it because I've walked it. I've been in these places. I could probably tick every single one of those lists. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. And I can testify and I can say to you, it is not a good place to be. It's not where the enemy wants you. It's not where God wants you to be. It's not a great place. The second route to isolation is much more subtle. Now, some of us, when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can carry habits from our old life into our new life. Some of those habits are dealt with in that time where we make that step to follow him. I know that. He did that with me. But I brought some not good habits into my walk with God as well. So sometimes we can bring them in from our old life. We can also pick up bad ones, new ones, as we continue to walk in Christ. We're not immune to, to bad habits. Ed Sheeran knows that. Some of these habits, some of these behaviours, we can actually be embarrassed about, a bit ashamed about. And because of this embarrassment, because of this shame, we can end up not sharing it with anybody, kind of keeping it a bit of a secret, putting it on the back shelf, so to speak, and not dealing with it, not talking about it. It may be that actually when we come to our walk with Christ, it may be that you find that you're someone who's brought some secret sins into your walk with him. So you, you've, you've received your forgiveness, but you, you find that you're still struggling with certain stuff. Maybe, it, as an example, it could be that you have quite a, an anger issue and you're keeping that a secret from as many people as you can because you feel ashamed or you wonder whether you'll be rejected. It may be unhealthy relationships that you're continuing, even though you know actually it's not good to be doing that. Could be that you've got addictions that you're actually still carrying, but you don't want to share it because of a fear of what people might think, what people might say. And you know, in this situation, we can end up being trapped in what I call a, a cycle of sin, repeat, sin, repeat, sin, repeat, sin, repeat. And we mess up and then we come to God and we ask him for forgiveness and he gives us that forgiveness, but we come back to that place of messing up again and it's this cycle. And actually a part of that isolation that I talk about is that the enemy's got you in a place where because you're not dealing with it, because you're not bringing it to someone, because of the fear that you hold, the shame that you carry, he's got you in that place where you're ineffective, feeling guilty, feeling more shame. We find ourselves trying to deal with the problem on our own. We end up tired in a place of isolation, stuck and ineffective. And that's where the building stops. God wants to build in our life, but that's where the building stops. Maybe that you've made decisions or even recently made a decision that you really regret, and you're holding this regret. You're ashamed. You see, when we come to Christ, God is so good, he's so gentle, Holy Spirit is so gentle. He wants to make us this new creation, to become more Christ-like, but we have to make the decision to bring everything to him. Everything. He wants to walk us through difficult conversations. He wants to bring us healing, forgiveness, and much, much more. You see, God doesn't want us in a place of isolation. And the truth is you don't have to remain there anymore. The third tactic is discouragement. Right at the beginning of Nehemiah's journey, as I shared that story, the enemy was laughing and mocking at them. Just like many people are laughing and mocking at my football team, Arsenal, at the moment. 
Many of you banter with me about how they've given up the title now, they've lost it, you know. But in this situation, it was even more serious than that. (laughs) Okay, they were laughing and mocking them for something that God had called them to do. The Jews that lived around them asked them to return home. Ten times, ten times. Even my persistent son, when he wants more sweets, won't ask me ten times. I mean, he gives up after about seven. But these guys had discouraged them ten times. These were people that they knew. These were family members. These were people that were within their church, people that they're in their life groups. These were people that they respected and looked up to, and they were discouraging them in this moment. Nehemiah and these people had a word from God, go and do it. And these people were saying, don't. They were friends. You know, we too in church can face discouragement. And we can face discouragement from the people around us. And you may well have received discouragement from someone in this room right now. Maybe I've unintentionally discouraged you, and I'm sorry. It was not intentional. You see, discouragement can sometimes be intentional can sometimes be intentional and unintentional. Perhaps you've got a dream or a vision that God's put on your heart. Perhaps you've got a calling that you know for sure that God has called you to. And someone has told you, has laughed at you, isn't listening. You're coming up against a brick wall. You know, in those situations, the enemy's idea is to get you in a place of doubting your calling, doubting your ability. Again, if he can get you discouraged, you become ineffective. You become ineffective. I've heard it said at many training events over the years um, outside of church that I think a, a discouraging word requires at least 10 encouraging words to be, for it to be undone. Because of the weight of that. Do not underestimate encouragement. The fourth tactic of the enemy is fear. The task of rebuilding the wall began to overwhelm Nehemiah's team. They were fearful that the enemy were going to get them. So the building stopped. They froze. When I was young, I used to watch Tom and Jerry on a VCR. VCR is a videotape, <laughs> okay, that you had to put in a hole in this thing and it played, right? I used to watch Tom and Jerry until the tape wore out. And always that, that moment of fear, some of you are going to remember it. Those of you, young people, Google it later, you know. But basically, Tom and Jerry, there was a mouse and a cat, and they weren't very kind to one another. And anyway, so whatever Jerry could do to get Tom and vice versa, they would do it. So I remember a scene in one of my most favorite scenes is when uh, Jerry is at the top of a building and he's getting ready to push a piano off the top of the building right when Tom is coming by. And as Tom comes by, he suddenly hears the chords of the piano go and he looks up and the piano is coming towards him. And what does he do? Does he run away? No, he doesn't. No matter how hard I shouted at the TV, he did not run away. He froze with fear and the piano hit him. Thankfully, in cartoons, it's okay. He ends up brushing himself off and carries on. So he was immortal or something. But I personally have experienced fear that causes you to freeze, a fear that paralyzes you. I've walked in panic attacks that I don't understand that came out of nowhere. And the enemy wants you in that place of fear. If he can use fear to get you to be ineffective, isolated, and frozen, The building stops. And folks, this is why unity is so important. If Nehemiah had not got them working together on the task, they stood less chance of succeeding. No thanks, Nehemiah, you can do it on your own, mate. Can you imagine the burnout that Nehemiah would have faced trying to build the wall on his own? I've been there and done that, not asking for help, trying to do stuff on my own. It ends up in burnout, emotionally, and physically. Unity is so important when it comes to allowing God to build the church. That's us. That's you and me. And if we allow God to shape and mold us as individuals, 
For that to happen, we need a good community around us. A good community around us. God chose the vehicle of the church for a reason. He chose your youth group for a reason. He chose your life group for a reason. We need each other. And as we look at some strategies of tackling some of the attacks of the enemy, can I just ask that we look at them through the lens of community? Not as, well, I can do this on my own. Yeah, yeah. So if you can just turn to your neighbour and say community, lens of community. If your neighbour's too far away, just say it to yourself. First sign of madness, talking to yourself. Okay, so some strategies. We've looked at some of the tactics of the enemy. Can we just look at some strategies? Are we okay to do that? Yeah? Yeah, okay. First strategy, very obvious. Some of you will be like, that's obvious, is prayer. Nehemiah's first impulse was to pray, to talk to God. You don't, we saw the king yesterday kneel before God. I think that was a a moment of um, humility. We don't always have to kneel. We can be walking we can be doing the washing up. We can just be in the, you know, we've paused our, our um, PS4 and we've just had a break and we can in that moment pray in between sessions and levels. You see, prayer is talking to God. You see, Nehemiah hears the news about the walls, the, build, the walls coming down initially in the story. And the first thing he did is pray. That was his impulse. We're going to pray. The enemy was intimidating them. We see that later on in the story. His first impulse is to pray. Now, those of you that know me, my default is not to pray first. My default is to get right into things and try and fix the problem. That's my default. That's how I'm wired. I have to be very careful in the midst of a situation where I just have to say to myself, stop, pray, wait, go, rather than go some of you you're like yeah we know Dan thank you thank you for being encouraging to me it's good it's true there are some of you like that's me that's me that's my default you don't need to feel guilt or shame that's how you're wired you're a doer and that's okay but any to-do list you have number one pray at the end of your to-do list pray that was Nehemiah's default He brought it to God. And I have to say, when I'm in situations where I take it to God first and I pray, he directs me, he guides me, he leads me to a place of breakthrough quicker than I would have ever got there myself, if at all. So if you're in a place of isolation, struggling, discouraged, in a place of disunity, you're in a place of fear right now, the first step is to take it to God. Some of you are like, that's obvious, Dan, and I do that. Great, keep doing that. Teach others to do that. Grab some people, bring them with you, pray. Some of us need reminding of the power of prayer. Don't underestimate it. It is actually the best thing we can do, especially when any of the enemy's tactics are against us. Strategy number two is press in. Nehemiah faced opposition from those around him. They mocked and they laughed at him. How many of you this morning um, are facing or have faced opposition? Maybe you've taken a step to follow Jesus and your mates are like, what? Are you kidding me? Maybe like me when I was a a late teenager, maybe you were too embarrassed to share because your mates would ridicule you and pick on you. Maybe... You're getting grief from your your husband or your wife because you've decided to come to church this morning. Well, maybe your best mates invited you out to the cinema and you said, no, I'm at church, and they're, they're, they're kind of taking the mick. Or perhaps you've made a decision in your workplace, in your college, in your family, in your marriage, where you've decided to, to do what you feel like God has asked you to do, and people are just aggressive don't understand it, aren't being very kind to you right now. Maybe this morning you've been discouraged by something somebody said or didn't say. Perhaps it was someone you knew, or perhaps it's someone real close to you. 
or like Nehemiah, it's your family. It's his church. And Nehemiah's strategy was to not let it take hold. His strategy was to not let it get him down. He prayed and he did what God asked him to do. He pressed in. You see, we see that the truth is what people say about you doesn't really matter. And I want you to hear this. What people say about you doesn't really matter. Now, some of you right now, you may have heard me say something entirely different. You may well have, and those of you online, you may well have heard people don't matter. I did not say that. I said what people think about you does not matter. Doesn't what magazines tell you, how you look, what you wear, how much money you make, it doesn't matter. It's not the most important thing. I'm speaking some truth right now. You see, if people are speaking bad things to you, if people are discouraging you, people aren't being kind right now, they will be held accountable to God. They will be held accountable to God. See, I went for a situation. I wasn't going to share this. I'm going to share it. I went for a situation in 2020, which was tough. And I was very glad for the COVID masks, not so that I could be kept safe from COVID, but so I could hide. Because I walked for a situation where thinking what people thought was becoming a weight in my life. So the mask was great. I could walk through town. I could do whatever. And nobody would know who I was. And I have to confess, sometimes I walk past people. I thought, I know that person. But because I got my mask on, I can hide. <laughs> and the reality is, I was caring too much what people thought. And actually, in this process, God was so gentle to me. He said, Dan, you've obviously got a physical mask right now. But actually, it doesn't really matter. I know how you live your life. I know your heart. That's all that matters. What I think is all that matters. So I took a step to press in, and I would take my mask off when I was allowed. <laughs> and I'd walk through Hightown with my mask off. And in the moments where I was beginning to, I, I might see someone I know. Oh, there's someone I know. What do I do? I'm like, God, I know you've got this. What you say about me is what matters. And I pressed in and I pressed on. Nehemiah, all these people, they kept moving forward. The enemy wants you to be in a place of isolation. He wants to stop you and freeze you from moving. But we've got to choose to put that one step forward and press in. They didn't let it affect them. They ignored it. They knew God's calling and they worked hard and they got the wall built. Press in. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, press in, press in, press in. Strategy number three, remember God fights for you. He fights for you. Come on. The Lord who is awesome and great will fight for you. We're not to do it on our own. We're to do it in unity and in community. But not only that, the God who created the universe, who is greater than any king or queen in this world, he fights for you. He fights for you. He fights for you. For me. Oh. You see, in Nehemiah, we see that the enemy's plan was frustrated. They couldn't and they didn't attack the building started again. God was on their side. He is on our side when we put our trust in him. The enemy's plan to destroy, to confuse, to distract, to isolate, keeps us in, to keep us in a place of fear is frustrated when we realize that Father God is on our side. I have to say, through all the difficulties, all the fears, all the craziness that's happened in my life over the last 20 years, I'm in an amazing place because of God. As I've chosen to lean into him, he is what's got me here. There might be some of you that look at my life and think, hang on a minute, this guy is strong. I'm not. But he fights for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I found it helpful at times when I've been fearful to stop and declare out loud, 
Thank you, Father, that you are with me. I'm sure there's a scripture to stick onto that, but he understands. And I press right into the fear. And it's in those moments that he enables me to be fearless because of who he is. You may well be consumed by fear right now, and I want you to say, that's okay. He doesn't want you to feel guilty. The enemy is so annoying and awful. He'll get you into a place of fear. He'll get you into a place of shame. He'll get you into a place of isolation. And then they go, look at you. You're in a place of shame and isolation and fear. You are awful. You're a terrible Christian. You're a terrible individual. Call yourself a believer. He gets you there, and then he has a go at you for being there. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you've dealt with him. I know Anne-Marie shared a testimony last week of how she'd stepped out of fear of flying. It was so encouraging. If you missed it, it's also online. But sometimes I, I can think, okay, well, sometimes we think, right, it's all about spiritual stuff. If I'm, if I'm just doing spiritual stuff, God is with me. No, he's such a loving father. He wants to handle every area of your life. Like fear of flying. I have a fear of boats. It's confession time. I'm terrified of them. Yeah, don't ask me what it is. Maybe it's an issue that happened in the bath one day. I just don't know. I just don't know what it is, okay? I don't. Okay, I also have had a fear of heights. So, and, and Kate will testify. She knows I, I put these things into practice. And then on our honeymoon, there was in the Eden Project, these stairs that you walk up to get to the top in Devon. And, you know, and I'm just like, right. I'm going to push through this, God, I know you're with me. I know you're with me. And I went up to the top, and my goodness, I got to the top, and it was really, really high, and I stayed there for five seconds. <laughs> and I walked back down, but I got up there. Fear did not paralyze me, and I truly believe it's because God was with me. And actually, since that moment, that was sort of um, July, August last year, whenever there's been a situation where uh, the fear of heights has come, I've decided to push through and go for it. We were walking along cliffs this week, and I'm looking over the cliffs, and I'm stopping, and I'm going, ooh, that's nice. Whereas before, I'd be like, get me away from here. I believe God has delivered me from the fear of heights. I believe God has delivered me from the fear of boats, because we've now been on free in the last year. And one of them was really choppy this week. Okay, and I was just chilled. I had such peace. And it sounds really trivial, but actually, I believe my father is interested in every area of my life. He wants me to become a new creation, a dam that isn't scared of heights, a dam that isn't scared of boats, a dam that doesn't allow fear to paralyze him. And what is the secret? Jesus is the secret. He is the one. Well, he's not a secret. He is the answer. He brings me out of that place of fear. Rise up. Look fear in the face. Take God's hand in yours and take that next step. It's not easy. It may well be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's worth it because your breakthrough is just one step away. Just one step away. Well, I know we're running out of time here. Strategy four, keep your guard up. So at one point, Nehemiah's plan um, had changed. Half the people were building, half the people had weapons, and they, were, they, they stood on their guard trying to mix it up. Uh, some held a sword in one hand, a trowel in the other. Others had swords strapped to their side. They kept their guard up. They were ready. They were aware they were in a battle. They, they knew the calling of God before them, and they were doing it, but they were fully aware that at any point they could come under attack. Let me say to you this morning, church, those of you online, we are in a battle. It's one, I've read Revelation, spoiler alert, Jesus wins. It's all good. But we are in this position where we are walking through what Jesus has won for us, which means we need to be on our guard. We need to be aware that we are under attack, that the enemy wants to bring us into a place of disunity, fear, isolation, and being ineffective. Jesus paid the price. Once the Holy Spirit brings us to this place, we then can keep our guard up. Jesus has made a way. We've shared the meal this morning. We've accepted him. We keep our guard up. We look out. You see, in Nehemiah, we see that 
Uh, the work was so widespread, the people were stretched thin, there were weak areas of the wall, and at any given moment they could come under attack. You know what? Life can move so quickly. The, I, if I had a quid for every time when I said, how are you doing? Someone says, we're really busy at the moment. Actually, I'd be quite a rich man. Actually, if you had a quid for the times I've said that, you'd also be rich. Could buy a boat. Um, but actually, we all have weaknesses. And when we've allowed the busyness of life to get a hold of us, we totally switch off to what's going on around us. Work can become an obsession. Maybe there's something else we're obsessed with. We switch off to everything around us. And most of all, I believe that we switch off to the fact that we're in a battle. And we become vulnerable. And the enemy tries to take us out. And it's usually when we are down, tired, alone, upset, or stretched, when he starts to try and give us a bit of a kick in. It's at these times that we need to keep our guard up. Be aware that we are vulnerable. If there's something I've learned over the last five years, it's when I'm in a vulnerable place. When I'm tired, it's almost like, right, it's code red right now. Not only could I not be a nice person, I could actually put my guard down and be open to attack. We're in a battle. In the Bible, the word of the Spirit is the word of God. It is so important to have God's word ready when an attack comes. We can pray. We can remind ourselves of his promises. We can ask him for answers and direction. And he speaks. So many times I have been in a tricky situation and I've been reading my Bible and the answers come when I've been reading my Bible so many times, when I've been in a place of worship so many times. You guys up for hearing the fifth strategy before we close? Yeah, you want to know? You sure? Okay, can I hear that trumpet again? (laughs) Somebody's trodden on that trumpet. It's a bit squeaky. Okay. So the fifth strategy is blow the trumpet. In verse 18, in in one of the chapters that I've not written here, but there's a situation, we, we know they talk about this person with a trumpet. The trumpet would sound, everybody would stop and head for that sound and defend the wall together. I've said it before this morning, this speaks of unity, but it's more than that. It's the importance of speaking out when we're in trouble. Blow the trumpet, I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling right now. I'm blowing my trumpet. I'm struggling. Can, 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 can we have some prayer? Can we have some support? Can we talk this through? I'm in need right now. I'm in need right now. That's another way of blowing your trumpet. I'm struggling right now. Do you know what? Actually, I'm in this place of disunity with you right now. We need to just talk this through. Actually, a few weeks ago, you when, when I was in church, you said this, and this is how I reacted. Can we just talk this through right now? talking about it. Blowing the trumpet is say, raising up, I need help. I've seen it time and time again at the moment, this, um, this mental health around uh, men. Was, ask Frank. Frank's not here today. Um, but generally, it's ask Frank. It's blokes, talk about it. Blow your trumpet. You are in a, I'm in a place of difficulty. I'm struggling. What, what this strategy is, is saying, do you know what? I'm going to hold my hands up. I can't fix this on my own. Let's talk about it. I need help. Not grabbing the mic and sharing your secret sins with everybody to hear or confessing the fear that you hold to every single person or even within your life group. Blowing the trumpet is it's, it's, it's accountability. It's having someone that you can talk to outside of your prayer life to confess when you've messed up to share your struggles, to bring them into the light so that through prayer they can be dealt with. I believe this is a sign of true, real, biblical community. I might be making you feel really uncomfortable right now, and that is not my desire. My my desire is to bring to you biblical truth which is that God doesn't want you to deal with the issues that you face in your life on your own. In the Bible, we call this confession. Different religions have got it slightly wrong, I believe, in how confession works. The way I see it is one or two trusted friends that you talk to that say, you know what, I've messed up here. 
and I need your help. Can you pray with me? Of course you bring your sins to Jesus. Your friends aren't an intermediary. You bring your sins to Jesus. But actually, I think Jesus wants us to talk about our issues and our, our, our struggles with others. And just the other day, God dealt with some shame that I've been carrying since I was 12 years old. Some shame that was intertwined in my life that I've been carrying. For those of you that know, that's 32 years ago. Some shame that I carried, that I was too, I allowed fear to take a hold. I was too ashamed and too embarrassed to talk to anyone about it. And that was a weak part of my wall. That was a part of my wall that the enemy could attack when I was down, when I was tired, when I was discouraged. And God used a close friend and my wife to talk about it and pray it through. And I can stand before you right now and say, I feel like God's dealt with it. I genuinely feel like a lighter person. I don't have that shame in my life. I don't carry it. I don't. And trust me, I prayed about it a lot on my own with God. But it was when I brought things to light and talked it through with some trusted believers that God brought that breakthrough that I'd been praying for for close to 20 years. If you find that you're in that journey, maybe you're 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you've been praying for something and you've not seen that breakthrough, I encourage you to do the brave thing and step forward and to blow the trumpet and talk about it so that God can deal with it. God doesn't want you in a place of isolation. God doesn't want us to face the storms of life alone. That's what the church is about. That's what it's for. So as I'm bringing the message into land, maybe the the band can come up or some of the band. I've got some questions for you. See, the truth is we all have a part to play in each other's journey. It may be that you're visiting this morning. Maybe you've chosen to join us. Um, You're on holiday. It's great to have you with us. When I talk about the church, I don't just mean CLC. I mean the wider church. We all have a part to play. We all have a role. Um, My question to you is this. Who are you accountable to? Who can you make yourself available to? Who have you said you would be accountable to and you've done nothing about it? You've had that one conversation, said, I really want to be accountable to you in this. And then you've just not followed through. You've, you've not met again. You've not talked about it. And it's almost like you've parked that situation, that conversation. You've parked it. Have you said you would be accountable for someone and you haven't followed them up? Ask them how they're doing in that situation. Met to pray. Do your friendships go to this kind of level where you talk about these things? And if not, why not? So important. So, so important. You need to take them there. Even if it's just another person, you need to take them there. It's not easy, but it's the right way to go. It's what God wants us to do. We read it in his word. I want to leave you with this. The guys in Nehemiah slept with their clothes on. They were always ready for an attack. We're in a battle. When things are bad, we're in a battle. When things are good, we're in a battle. When things are busy, we're in a battle. When things are quiet, we're in a battle. Be always ready. Sword in one hand, trowel in the other. Taking the word of God and and allowing him to build in your life. And you will see incredible breakthrough. You will see incredible breakthrough when you do this. It won't be easy. It might take longer than you imagined. You may be 15, 20 years down the line. You've had a word from God. You've had a prophecy from God. And you have not seen it take hold yet. Be encouraged. 
It's on its way. Trust him for the timing. Have a sword in one hand, a trowel in the other. He is in charge. Doesn't matter what people have spoken over your life. His word is stronger and more powerful in your life than any other thing. Church, let's encourage one another in all that we do. It may be that you're here this morning and you've never taken a step to follow Jesus Christ. You're watching online. You've never taken that step to follow Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that this morning. Today is your day. Take that step. Invite him into your life. I'm just going to pray a prayer right now. And if that's you, I just want you to say it in your mind or out loud. Jesus, I surrender to you. I accept that you died for me, you rose again, and that you forgive me. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for living life my way. I want to live life your way from this moment forth. I accept you into my life. Come. Amen, which means I agree. If you prayed that for the first time, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. If you're unsure about that, and you're like, I'm not praying that prayer right now. I don't even know the guy that's speaking up the front. That's okay. We'd love to meet you for coffee, chat some more. But we're just going to enter uh, the time of worship now. And I, I, I'm very aware... So I'm looking here, it says ministry. We need to pray about these things. I'm very aware I've touched a lot of areas this morning. And I, I just feel like actually it's not about coming to the front, somebody laying their hand on you in this moment. It's about you taking that step, whatever it is. Can I just pray as you stand? Is that all right if you're able to stand? Jesus, we thank you that you've made a way. We thank you that you're the King of Kings. You're interested in our lives. Whatever has challenged us, whatever has made us feel a bit uneasy right now, we just bring it to you. And we say, Lord, lead us. Holy Spirit, come. Help us, direct us. If it's someone we need to talk to, can you highlight that person that can be trusted? Is there someone we need to ask for forgiveness? As we take that step, help us to do it afraid. <laughs> help us to, to just do it. Lord, whatever it is you've put your finger on this morning, we just want to bring it to you and say, lead us and guide us. Help us. And we thank you that you're our greatest cheerleader. And as you look down, whether we're in a place of fear, whether in a good place, you're cheering us on, saying, that's my child. Come on, you go for it. Amen.